Hello and welcome back to another episode of Drew Crime. I'm your host Drew V and for this episode I will be covering the strange disappearance of Jeffrey Allen Klugness along with the savage murder of his mother Susan Klugness which just so happened to occur on the same day. This is a case that not very many people have covered at all and due to the fact that there is literally very little to no information about this case out there, this episode will be shorter than the rest I have done thus far. I chose to cover this story because there are thousands of cases out there that really don't ever receive any attention at all, so I find it to be important to use my platforms to help bring awareness to some of these cases that aren't very publicized. This case involves a very strange story that really only leaves much speculation about its possible outcome. On Saturday, March 2nd, 1996, in Bonnie Lake, Washington, a man and father by the name of Ronald Klungness returned home that late afternoon where he would later find his wife Susan Klungness brutally murdered and also being unable to locate his 14-year-old son Jeffrey. After law enforcement had been contacted by Ron that evening, an investigation into Susan's death would begin and the search for Ron's son Jeffrey would also begin as well. As this story unfolds, we learn that while Ron was at work, a family friend by the name of Martin Malcolm had been seen by neighbors with his son Jeffrey just hours before he would disappear. And we also find out that Malcolm told law enforcement later on that he was the one who initially found Susan's murdered body at the Klungness residence. But instead of calling authorities at the time, he instead said he freaked out and left the residence in Susan's car that would later be found abandoned a day later. Malcolm does become a very strong person of interest in this bizarre story, and as the episode carries on, you will definitely see why. No one has ever been charged with any crimes relating to Susan's death and Jeffrey's disappearance, so please join me on the rest of this episode as I introduce who Jeffrey and Susan Klungness were, then I will begin their very strange and unsolved story, and then after that I will close out the episode with my thoughts and opinions while trying to speculate as to what may have happened to both Jeffrey and Susan Klungness. This is True Crime, Episode 14, Jeffrey and Susan Klungness. Thirteen-year-old Eric Smith was arraigned in village court this morning. A murder case that has left a small New York State community in shock. The only thing more shocking than the crime was the identity of the killer. I knew I had a problem with anger. I knew I knew. I might be, you know, just happy-go-lucky now. And someone get, get me mad. know the truth and the, and the honesty of it if they want to be convinced or brainwashed into what they believe then fine then go ahead and kill me but vengeance is mine say it the lord because you will have executed somebody that didn't commit Now, before I begin the story, I just wanted to remind everyone that you can find all my Drew Crime episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and many more. Also, feel free to check out my YouTube channel where I create video presentations that go along with the podcast episodes I published. Again, there is very little information out there about this case, so with what I could find, I will have everything sourced out for you in the episode description box. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get right into who Jeffrey and Susan Klungness were. 
From what I have gathered in my small amount of research, Susan Klungness had worked for the Boeing company before she went on disability retirement due to a previous knee injury. Susan volunteered at a local church while attending Bible study every Wednesday night, and according to her husband Ron, she also enjoyed making crafts and playing on the family's computer. The family had just celebrated Susan's 53rd birthday a few months before in January, and they'd also just celebrated Ron and Susan's 15th year wedding anniversary in February. In 1996, Ron had said that they were a happy family, even though Susan and Ron had been separated at one point previously, and it's also been stated that their arguing sometimes distressed their son Jeffrey. As for their 14-year-old son Jeffrey Klungness, who also went by Jeffrey Hayes or Stanley Ipkiss, Jeffrey was born on December 9, 1981, and at the time of his disappearance, Jeffrey was attending a private school called New Horizons in Skywalk, where he was starting to receive better grades. He also liked to play video games, soccer, and his card game Magic, to which some of his Magic cards were missing when he disappeared. His father, Ron, described Jeffrey as a teenager who was shy, but was basically a normal kid, even though it's also been said that Jeffrey had developed some anger issues before his disappearance, and had even been a little destructive as well by putting a hole in his bedroom door one night. Jeff was only 14 years old when he disappeared, and presently he would be 41 years old. Jeffrey has been described as a white male that was 5'10", 155 pounds, with brown hair, blue eyes, and suffers from dyslexia, and also has a speech impediment. He is also known to walk with a limp due to his right leg and also slouches when he walks. When he disappeared, he was wearing a short-sleeved green shirt with green pants and sneakers. Now to begin this story, like I had mentioned before, this story would take place on Saturday, March 2nd, 1996 in Bonnie Lake, Washington, where Ronald Klungness would return to his home at 2040 Block of East 133rd Street after work between 4 and 4.30 p.m., and this alibi has checked out. When Ron arrived home, he noticed that his wife Susan's 1991 Toyota Camry was gone, the front door to the residence was unlocked, and the television set was still on. Both his wife Susan and son Jeffrey were not present after Ron arrived home, and so Ron decided to lie down on the couch and watch some television, and since the house was so quiet, Ron would end up falling asleep. A few hours later, around 6.30 p.m., Ron would awake to find the home still quiet, and this is when he says he would go to the master bedroom to check on his wife Susan, who at the time had been recovering from knee surgery. Once Ron approached the bedroom, he went to open the door, but was unable to get the door open due to the fact that something on the other side was blocking him from entering. After a few minutes of struggling to get the door open, Ron was then finally able to get it open, but he wasn't prepared for what he was going to find next on the other side of that door. Once Ron opened the door, he would then find his wife of 15 years, Susan Klungness, lying on the ground. She was bloody, lifeless, and propped up against the bedroom door, so this is where Ron would immediately dial 911. So after law enforcement arrived at the residence and started the investigation, they were able to gather that Susan had been savagely beaten while sitting in her favorite armchair in the living room. There was also a trail of blood from the chair to her bedroom where she would ultimately be found, but the question here is, how did she get there? Did she try to crawl or flee after she was attacked, or was she possibly dragged there by someone? And another question, how did Ron not even notice the blood trail as he made his way from the couch to the bedroom before he discovered his wife's body? 
Real quick here, I just wanted to point out that Ron also noticed that his gold Seiko Quartz watch engraved with his name and a message from Boeing thanking him for 30 years of service and around $700 had disappeared from the home. Law enforcement believes whoever murdered Susan most likely took the watch and sold it afterwards. So law enforcement alerted local pawn shops to keep an eye out for Ron's watch. But still to this day, Ron's watch has never been found. So during the time law enforcement was gathering evidence, Ron also notified law enforcement that his son Jeffrey was nowhere to be found. And the last time Ron had spoken with Jeffrey was around 9.30 that Saturday morning. This would then spark a search around the area of the Klungness home, but to no avail, law enforcement would come up empty-handed in their efforts, and Jeffrey wouldn't be the only thing missing from the property, because remember, Susan's 1991 Toyota Camry was still missing as well. But I believe law enforcement already had someone in mind. Well then about a day later on Sunday at 4.30am, law enforcement would then be able to locate Susan's Toyota Camry, which turned out to be abandoned in a parking lot located in a nearby town of Auburn, Washington, which is about 11 miles north of Bonnie Lake. But the questions here are, how did Susan's car get there and who took it there? Well, the answer to these questions is that the vehicle was abandoned in Auburn by this so-called family friend, 41-year-old Martin Malcolm from the day before, whom I mentioned earlier. And law enforcement was already looking for Malcolm because he was the same guy that was seen with Jeffrey by neighbors just hours before Jeffrey would disappear. It's also been reported that Malcolm was a known friend of Jeffrey's and often drove him places. Now this so-called family friend went by the full name of Martin S. Malcolm, but many people knew him as Marty. Ron and Susan had met Malcolm through their church New Horizons community three and a half years earlier, and they had initially hired him to remodel several rooms in their home. Malcolm had also become a close family friend that had run a lot of errands for Susan while she was recovering from knee surgery, hence how he had access to her vehicle in the first place. Malcolm also had a previous criminal history that included him being imprisoned in 1980 where he was convicted of a second-degree murder of his estranged wife by stabbing her to death before being released from prison in 1992. So it seems a little odd as to why Susan and Ron would even think about letting someone like Malcolm hang around their teen son in the first place, let alone themselves. So then after Susan's car had been located, around 5.30pm on that Sunday, one of Malcolm's friends called the sheriff's department and told them Malcolm had resurfaced and was willing to come in for questioning. Malcolm showed up for questioning but claimed he had no idea what had happened to Jeffrey. Also, Malcolm was initially cooperative with investigators but by Monday he no longer wanted to answer any questions and lawyered up. Malcolm was then arrested and charged with possession of stolen property and sentenced to 45 days in jail. Now, according to law enforcement, this is how Malcolm recalls his movements from that Saturday. Malcolm says he took Jeffrey to get a haircut around 11.30 a.m., and then shortly afterwards, a bank surveillance captured Malcolm at an ATM machine driving Susan's 1991 Toyota Camry. The camera didn't capture Jeffrey in the vehicle, but a witness behind Malcolm in the bank line said she saw a young person inside the vehicle. Malcolm said he then returned Jeffrey home at 12.30pm and then went on to run an errand. He then says he returned to the Klungness residence at 2pm to watch some TV, and this is also when he decided to check on Susan, and when he did that is when he would find Susan's lifeless body and Jeffrey missing. 
Real quick, there are no witnesses who have ever claimed that they saw Malcolm returning to the Clungness home at the times of 12.30 p.m. and 2 p.m. So after discovering Susan's body, Malcolm then decided to take Susan's vehicle and the $300 he has admitted to withdrawing from Susan's account and then drove over to the Muckleshoot Casino, which is located in Auburn and is around the same area where Susan's abandoned Camry would later be found. Malcolm was also hanging out with some friends that evening, even though he had told the authorities he left the Clungness residence in shock. Now, while this was all going on with Malcolm, law enforcement was able to conduct a few searches for Jeffrey, and they also spoke with a couple of Jeffrey's friends, to which they also had no idea where Jeffrey was. So the first search occurred in the Bonnie Lake area the same day Jeffrey went missing, and then the second search was March 7, 1996, where around 50 volunteers combed through several different areas of Bonnie Lake. They looked all along the Washington 410, but they found nothing and vowed to keep searching. A National Guard helicopter equipped with heat-seeking radar was even used to search for Jeffrey, but they too found no clues to his whereabouts. Then another massive search would take place on March 9, 1996, but searchers again went home without finding anything and without any more places to look in. On March 10, 1996, around a week after Jeffrey disappeared, the Pierce County Sheriff's Department announced that they were ending the search for Jeffrey. According to an article listed in my sources, on April 16, 1996, Malcolm was released from jail after pleading guilty to taking Susan's car without permission and being sentenced to time served. Detectives remained convinced that he was involved in Susan's murder. However, spokesperson Kurt Benson told reporters Martin was still, quote, a strong person of interest because of his suspicious activity during the incident, unquote. Then on April 23, 1996, Ronald Clungness announced that he was offering a $500 reward for information leading to the return of his missing son. Although he had admitted that he knew there was a chance that Jeffrey had been killed, he hoped he was alive somewhere. Ronald was quoting saying, quote, Every time I hear a telephone at work, I think it might be him calling. Unquote. Ronald followed up on every tip he received, traveling as far as Seattle after someone reported seeing the teenager there, but in the end, he returned home alone and disappointed. Now, this is where I will stop Jeffrey and Susan's story and get into my own thoughts and opinions on this case, of which there are many, but I'll try and keep it short, and then I will close the episode out. So first off, I have to say that I feel there is certainly a lot of suspicion that surrounds Malcolm in this story, which includes a lot of pretty incriminating circumstantial evidence towards him as well. Even law enforcement had said after three months into their investigation, they still considered Malcolm to be a very firm person of interest, and there's never been any other possible suspects in this case. Now, with all that being said, my speculation towards this case is that Malcolm may have had something to do with Susan's death and Jeffrey's disappearance. As far as I know, Susan and Jeffrey's cases are still ongoing, so therefore there's not a whole lot of information out there that has been divulged to the public. I would be very much interested in knowing a lot more forensic detail about the crime scene where Susan was murdered and Jeffrey disappeared from, but unfortunately none of that is available. With that being said, I think that Malcolm's movements from that day are very suspicious and don't really add up. As far as we know, Malcolm was the one who initially found Susan's body and was the last person seen with Jeffrey. 
Malcolm also stole Susan's car and withdrew hundreds of dollars from Susan's bank account before going to a casino and then abandoning her vehicle in a nearby town. It's also been reported that Malcolm was becoming unwelcome at the Clungness residence by March of 1996 because he spent so much time over there and never put gas in their car after he drove it. So if Malcolm was starting to be alienated by the family, I do think it could be plausible that Malcolm was starting to feel unwanted by the family, so he then grew upset and possibly retaliated by harming Susan and somehow getting rid of Jeffrey. Reasons I say this is because of his past history, which included him stabbing his ex-wife and all of his movements on the day that Susan was murdered. There was also the $700 that was missing from the Clungness home and had already withdrawn hundreds of dollars from Susan's bank account, so I speculate this could be another cause of motive for Malcolm to commit this crime. I do also have to bring up again here that Malcolm turned himself in to law enforcement where he quickly lawyered up, which isn't unusual, but Malcolm also denied taking a polygraph, and just a day after speaking with police, Malcolm decided to stop speaking with law enforcement about Susan and Jeffrey, to which he has never spoken with law enforcement about these cases ever since. Now, to be fair, Malcolm had managed to stay out of trouble with the law after his prison release, and it has been reported that he never showed any indication of violence around the Klungness family. So even though Malcolm's chain of events from that weekend do seem sketchy at best, there's really no smoking gun that I could find in this case that links Malcolm to Susan's murder or Jeffrey's disappearance. As for Jeffrey, it's hard to say what may have happened to him given that there are really no clues out there at this point. Some people have speculated that he may have just run away from home due to his parents arguing or he may somehow have been involved in Susan's death and then took off. I personally don't think Jeffrey ran away from home or had anything to do with his mother's death, and a big reason why I say this is because, according to the Charlie Project, law enforcement does not believe Jeffrey ran away from home due to the fact that he had never been on his own before, and the fact that Jeffrey has never contacted any other family members or law enforcement since he disappeared. Also, law enforcement does not consider Jeffrey a suspect at all in his mother's death. So in conclusion to my thoughts and opinions, I definitely feel there's much more to this story that we don't know, but from what little we've been given, it's really just too hard to speculate right now who may have killed Susan and why Jeffrey has been missing for over 27 years. I speculate that Malcolm most likely knows a lot more about how the actual events transpired that day, but up to this point, there must not be enough evidence to make him an actual suspect. As for Ron Klungness, he had always wondered if they had trusted a monster talking about Malcolm. And if my research is correct, Ron would later pass away in November of 2021, never being able to seek out the actual truth as to what happened to his family back in March of 1996. And unless someone is able to come forward with any information pertaining to Susan and Jeffrey, there's a good chance this case will remain cold for quite some time, if not forever. Now I wanted to go ahead and thank everyone for tuning in to another episode of Drew Crime. This is a story that really deserves a little more attention as do many of them I cover. So if you're someone who has any information on Susan Klungness death or Jeffrey Klungness disappearance, please contact the Tacoma Police Department or the Crime Stoppers in the Tacoma and Pierce County areas. 
And as for my next episode, I have been really working on the unsolved case of Jennifer Kesey, but I still may need a little more time on that one, so I think I'm going to leave it up to being a surprise once again. So make sure you check out my Drew Crime TikTok or YouTube channel here soon, and I will have the trailer published for my next upcoming episode. Thanks again, everyone, for continuing to listen and support my podcast, and my always friendly reminder to everyone, Love everyone, but trust no one. I'm your host, Drew V, and you've just listened to another episode of True Crime.